Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Kesset. I'm so excited that you're here. If you're new, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors I'm going to be sharing with you today. We're in a series right now called The Quickening. Uh, quickening is basically another word for catalyst, and it's based on a verse in the Psalms where uh, the writer says, Lord, you have quickened my heart. You have, you have, you have challenged me. You have quickened me. You've, you've caused a catalyst in my life, a reflection or a revelation. And so uh, for the last six or seven weeks, we've had a symbol that represented every single talk, and that has been kind of just up to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do. And so today's symbol is a scale, and this Believe it or not, it's going to represent today's topic, which is lies. Uh, it's an interesting symbol for today's topic, and I'm not going to share with you exactly why it's there yet, but I have a feeling you'll figure it out. Uh, I want to also uh, start off with uh, just uh, a word of prayer. Just last service was really special, and it was really unique, but I think it was for them. And I'll be honest, I feel like God has something different for you guys. Uh, my team in the back was like, don't change anything. It, was, it, it worked really well, and I was like... I feel like there's some, some really messed up people at the 11. So we just got to, <laughs> so we got we to gotta change it up. So whoever you are, you wrecked my room. So, uh, and, and you know what? Maybe it's me. Maybe it's God trying to get, get more uh, in, in line of sight with me. But either way, I'm going to pray. And this, this is for you. We serve a God who is alive and intimate and connected. And he isn't too concerned about what I say or or, or what the music says, he's concerned about what you hear, and the Holy Spirit does a great job of meeting your needs right where they are. So I don't know what you walked in with, but I know who you can walk out with, and that is the peace and love of Jesus Christ, because he can meet every single need in this room. It's just amazing what he can do. But it takes you being willing to set down the distractions you brought with you. It takes you being willing to, to sit with yourself, really, for 30 minutes, and not, not try to hear this message for somebody else, that happens a lot, I think. Like, man, my dad's got to hear this. this. This is for him. Or, you know, nod your wife. You know, oh, this is, you hear what he said? Messed up. That's you, honey. You, you got to, I'm talking to you. And, and I think God's talking to me. And so uh, I want to pray. And then we'll just, we'll just jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to sit with you, to wrestle with you, to confess to you, to uh, to be reformed by you, to be convicted by you, to be whatever we need to be with you, Lord. We know that you meet our needs, that you know what plans would be best for us, and you know, God, exactly how to get our attention. And so I ask today that's what would happen, that this service would be exactly for who's here or who's listening online, and that there would be just an incredible quickening, God, just a, a catalyst in the hearts of those in this room that they would uh, come to the end of themselves like the prodigal son, and they would decide to go home to a dad who's waiting to feast with them. Thank you for the sons and daughters that are here, for the way that you want to unveil yourself to them. Only you know how. And so may we, we just get out of the way and experience it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off with uh, uh, a little bit of... A little bit of uh, <laughs> So uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine recently, uh, this didn't happen at the nine at all. Again, whoever you are, uh, a friend of mine, uh, you know, the face app thing that's going around that everybody's for or against. I don't care about any of that because I didn't download it, but a friend did download my picture and they took a picture of me. This is the original picture of me. Someone caught me eating dessert at a wedding, which is not a very, that's not fair, right? Like that's not, but I do like my dessert. So they took this picture and then he sends it to me. Uh, looking like this. <laughs> now, for all intents and purposes, this is a lie. This is not what I look like. Uh, this is messing with my identity, right? It's messing with, with what I look like. But here's what really, really messed me up. First thing, I go out to a restaurant of some friends that go to our church, actually. They might be here. I don't know. But uh, this daughter comes up to me. She goes, you got to hear what my mom said. And she said, what? I had like 40 or 50 comments on that picture. And she goes, she was so frustrated that so many people were making fun of you for how you're aging. 
And I said, she didn't, she didn't know it was an app, but she goes, no. She's like, they need to leave him alone. Leave his receding gray hair alone and his, his gray beard. You just leave him alone. So I was super like, that is offensive. Like, like let's be clear. This is, this is not, I don't think, what I look like. So I sent it to my dad, and I was like, ha-ha, dad, what do you think of this? And my dad's response, I have it on text, was, wow, that guy looks a lot like you. He said, that is crazy. And I said, Dad, it is me. And he goes, yeah, I know it looks a lot like you, but, but who is he? I mean, are there other pictures of him? And I go, no, it is me. And he's like, what? So I sent it to my mom, Bernadine, you know here. I sent it to her, and she goes, whoa, whoever that is, he's very handsome, and he looks a lot like you. <laughs> so I've been talking with other people, and the reality is I don't see how you could not understand. I mean, I look like the guy from Jurassic Park in that, in that image right there. That's who I... <laughs> I look like I should have my own dinosaur. Like, that's, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing about lies. You can take it down. Here's the thing about lies. They mess with your identity, and they never hit everybody the same way. Some people are like, oh, so funny. Some people are like, oh, wow, that, that looks just like you. Some people are like, you got to be careful. People are going to hack your bank accounts. Like, everybody's got a different perspective on the lie. And so that's why lies are so important for us to talk about. Because you can't just say, this is how lies work in our spiritual lives. This is how lies keep us from living our best lives to the fullest of our identity. You can't do that. You have to sit back and approach and respond and reflect to every lie differently because everybody hears them differently. Lies are a hard, hard topic especially because so many of us have heard and believed so many different ones. This is what Tozer said. I'll pull this from a sermon I preached about five weeks ago. He said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if lies about my identity can warp how I see other people, how much more can lies I believe about God warp how I see and so serve him? How many of us in this room right now believe at our core level some really specific lies about God. I would say almost all of us. Part of being on the, the, the narrow road, the journey towards transformation, is sitting with other people in God's word and deciphering truth from lie. That's a big part of salvation, is recognizing that God wants for you his truth. We're going to look at it. God wants for you his identity poured over yours. And the world and the great accuser, the enemy, okay, he wants to lie to you about who you are and how you're supposed to be. Tozer is saying in this statement that when you think about God, what you think about God will shape everything about you. It will shape how you interact with others in relationships. It will shape how you interact with your finances. It will literally shape everything about your life. Meaning, if in your mind you think about God, you think he is gracious and loving and gentle, and patient, and kind, then naturally, as you approach other people in life, you will, through reflection on God, treat them how God treats you. But on the flip side, if you believe God is perpetually disappointed in you, that every time God sees you, he just kind of has this retching sort of reaction to your life, and he holds you accountable for all these things that then cause you and him to live in this constant state of low-grade agitation, then no wonder you walk around so cynical looking at this world as a place just to get through and on to the next life. In this context, I'll put it on the screen, to see God properly, correctly, is to have the whole of our lives ordered in a way that is beautiful, right, and good. So not believing the lies in your spiritual life is a critical first step. For to see God wrongly, means we will make a mess of things even when our best intentions, with our best intentions, and so live in darkness and confusion. This is exactly what Jesus is speaking about when he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's saying, whoever follows me will see the truth, and I am the truth, and the lies will not be with them. He goes on to say in John 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Whenever the Bible's talking on a certain topic, you have to realize it's talking in contrast to something else. Whenever it's talking about holiness, it's of course talking about fallenness or incompleteness. Holiness literally means to make whole. That's what it means. God is holy because he lacks nothing. 
He's whole. He's perfect harmony. He's shalom. He's peace. We are in uh, the opposite of harmony. We are in cacophony. If you look up the definition of cacophony, it's, it's literally a, 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 a bookshelf full of dishes just poured out on a floor. That's, the, that's sort of where we live oftentimes. We live outside of holiness. So when we're talking about truth, then naturally the verse assumes you know there's lies. The truth will set you free. Therefore, what will the lies do? Bound you. Own you. Own me. Control me. This is what Jesus came to do. He goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're bound in your sin. You are a slave. You are owned by your sin. You are owned by the lies and confusion. And Satan, he is the father of this. And he is really, really, really good at it. I said last week, listen, we need to stop blaming Satan for everything in our lives. Okay, we need to take some responsibility for the brokenness that we brought upon ourselves and stop blaming him. I think that's a true statement. I think it's a valuable statement. And I think way too many people don't feel like they have any hope of any kind of new beginning because Satan's got his thumb on them. And every situation they deal with is, 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 is covered by his demons and his darkness. And I'm just here to tell you, I think your own fallenness oftentimes stirs the pot just fine enough for you. But I do believe in my heart of hearts, that what Satan does is stir the pot, not necessarily always on the outside of your life, but on the inside of your life by sprinkling in a little bit of seasoning we call lies. He warps you quietly and simply from the inside out until you are bound to your own brokenness. This is the place that we have to go to today if we want to find help. This is the table that we have to sit at and I, I, I know I'm supposed to be kind of like funny and inviting and make sure everybody feels comfortable, but I need you to feel uncomfortable about this next place we're going to go because unless you can sit at the table with yourself, literally sit in a chair across from yourself and look at your life and all the areas it is bound up by the lies you've believed about God and about yourself, then the rest of the sermon is simply going to be semi-entertaining because it will still be really good, but it might not be as impactful <laughs> as it could be, only semi-entertaining. We have to sit with ourselves. We have to sit with who we are. We have to sit with what we've done. We have to be okay to look in the mirror and say, okay, let's start with me. What lies do I believe about God? What lies do I, do I believe uh, that have been woven into my life? And how am I treating other people in reflection of those lies? We need to be free for the greatest damage, I'll put it up, the devil does is brought about through his lies. For lying is what he does best. John 8, b when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He literally is a liar. That's what he does. And his world is about taking you away from the presence and peace of God. This is the damage he does. It's through his lies. Now, yes, the truth is that the enemy was defeated at the cross. I want to make sure and address that because all my theologians in the room are like, whoa, whoa, we're, we're kind of peddling up to something that we need to recognize the power lies in the cross. And it does. The victory now belongs to Jesus and we get to share in that victory as children of God and we should claim it over every area in our life. That's a fact. But what's also a fact is that even though the enemy can't change what Jesus did on the cross, he can certainly lie to us in an attempt to keep us from fulfilling our God-given destinies and to stunt our growth as believers. You hold up the light of the world, you best believe the darkness is going to take notice. You don't get to do just one or the other. This is what we've been trying to break here within this church, this, this terrible doctrine of, of, of only thinking in black and white concepts that, well, I have the light in me, so therefore there is no darkness affecting me whatsoever. Or I, I don't know if I know Jesus, so I just must be so full of darkness and shame that I, I can't actually access any of these good things. When in reality, your story and my story often weaves in between both. While Jesus and his conquering love slowly but surely certainly transform those who are willing to not be bound to Satan and his lies, to not be bound to destructive thinking? Yes, but it doesn't mean that you don't get to sit like Paul and say, listen, I am a really bad sinner. Like, I'm, a, I'm the worst of the worst sinners. He sat with himself and went, I'm broken. And he's not lacking anything. 
I'm cacophony, he's harmony. I want what he can complete in me. But the only way that happens is with you recognize that you and I are in great need of a God who wants to transform the lies that we've believed about him into a relationship so intimate and so connected that even when he convicts us, even when he disciplines us, we know it is for our best. This is why the authors of the Bible are so powerful. This is why what they do is so beautiful because they're like, they mess up so badly and then God comes and condemns them and they go, yeah, that's fair. And they move on. Like, I don't know anyone who hardly does this. They're like, I'm disqualified forever. I got a divorce, therefore I can never be a good husband or a good wife or a good mom again. Or, or I have this addiction, therefore I can never help other people. Or, or I have this or I have that. It's all these lies that have us think in these black and white concepts. Because I did this, I am this. And God's like, whoa, whoa, don't you understand that because I did this, you are this. Because I died on the cross, I freed you in the truth and the light I am the way. No one else comes to the Father but me. So let's go together. And along the way, I'm going to convict you for your lies. Right now in this room, my prayer is that God is convicting you about something in your story that you've believed for a really long time that maybe for the first time in your whole life you've, you've just considered a possible lie. There are people in this room right now who have based their whole life off a really bad north. No wonder they're always lost relationally spiritually, financially. Jesus is the only north. He is the truest north. He is the redeemer, the remaker, the restorer. But it takes you and I recognizing that we are lost and don't have the ability to find our own way. That's what he's waiting for before he swoops in and says, follow me. He doesn't say, here's a new north. He says, I'm the north. He doesn't say, here's some new gifts for you to go out and bless people with in the church. Here's some new talents for you to go do things. Everybody thinks that restored lives suddenly like suit up. We use the armor of God in a really broken way this way. You suit up and then you're like, follow me. Jesus gave me all these gifts. No, Jesus simply said, I am the gift. You follow me and then maybe some people will follow you because you're following me. This is what it means to stop believing lies. Here's some examples, some examples of some of the enemy's most clever lies. First one found in the Bible, in the garden, Genesis 3.1. Now the certain was more, serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first lie is quite simple. Did God really say that? We believe this one. This is like, I, I think Satan must teach this to his followers like, like how to defeat faith 101, because people will be spoken over, people will experience God, people will have all kinds of awakenings. And one of the first doubts they sit with me over is, I don't, I don't know if that was real. Like, did God really say that he wanted me? Was that just hype? Was it just church high? Or, or did I experience something valid from him? Did God really say that? Another lie, you are inadequate. If we believe we can't, we won't. Satan knows this. And so he makes you small and he makes you insignificant. And he does it by reminding you over and over of your failures. And he really is good at getting you to compare to other people who appear to sit on a stage and appear to have it all together. Let me just tell you, and I've had debates theologically with this with folks for years, and I'm still not convinced that I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm not. I, I think this might be the best version of me you'll ever see. I, I think that, that I'm controlled. I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, I'm prepared. I'm well planned. I think people think I really live like this every single day. Like I know what to say. I have three points for every single discussion I'm in. I never get angry. I'm always quirky and kind of funny. And my hair is never a mess. I think people really believe that about all kinds of people. It's lies that Satan pours into your life to make you feel like you don't compare or measure up because you're inadequate. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we know that part of the verse says, when I am weak, I am strong. 
It's not when I am weak, he is strong. He doesn't need your weakness in order to be strong. He's strong all the time. Stop misquoting that verse. It's when I am weak, I am strong. Because when I am weak, I suddenly realize I have a great need to not be compared to anybody but the one who cannot be compared. And when he loves me, suddenly my life is packed full of meaning and direction in spite of how good or bad a day I have. Here's another one. You will never be able to overcome that sin in your life. That thing that harbors you, that thing that hunts you, you will never be able to overcome. And I think this is a common tactic from the enemy. People say things like, this is just who I am. I can never change. Or this is what I was taught to be. My parents are the same. My grandparents are the same. This just simply is falsehood. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone, anyone meaning all of you, is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus Christ wants to be new with you. He wants to be transforming your life. But you've got to come to a place where you realize that, that the thing in your life that's been haunting you, there's a reason it's haunting you. And most likely it's because you've never sat squared up with it and called it out. You've never proclaimed it. You've never owned it. And you evaluate your sin life based on other people's sin lives. And you're probably thinking you're doing okay. But it's deep in your story, and it impacts a lot of how you respond and react because it's a lie you've believed for so long. Next one, you have to be perfect. Some of us buy into the lie that we have to be perfect in order for God to love us. But Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, so we know this to be a lie. You don't have to be perfect, for no one is. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You aren't, you can't be perfect. Stop believing you're going to be perfect and recognize that Christ's power and his love, the reason it's so significant is because it's perfection poured over your imperfection. That's how the, that's how the recipe works. So stop trying to change the recipe and bake a different life. Like just love him for how he loves you. Honor him for how he honors you. Experience him as he experiences you. Last one. The enemy still has authority, and we should live and be afraid of him. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus cleared this one up. He knew that Satan and his followers would pour this into all of our hearts. He cleared it up when he said in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This means that the enemy has no authority. His only power comes from his ability to deceive and his ability to convince you to believe in his lies. This all means if you are armed with the truth, if you are armed with light, if you are armed with the ability to see, and you're armed with the idea to quicken, and experience that, that you have these areas inside your story like everyone else. If you are armed with the truth, the enemy's lies have no power in your life whatsoever. He only gains power when you believe him. To accept God's truth is to accept the loving deliverance being freely offered. That's what God wants to do. He wants to meet you. He wants to find you. He wants to defend you. But he wants you to recognize your great need for him. And so that's the biggest lie probably of all is that you don't need any help. You don't need anyone to come alongside. And that's why I asked you, will you sit at the table honestly with your stuff and your story and really truly this week spend some time and, can, and look inside your life to see the patterns and rhythms of lives that have taken hold. I've done this. As a matter of fact, I do it in therapy every week for an hour. It's brutal. It is brutal. My therapist, I say, well, this is how it is. And he says things like this. Do you think it's that way for everyone? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, not true. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, not everyone sees the world how you see it. And I'm like, well, that's, that's bad for them. They should because I, I have some insight. And then he unpacks me, right, and unpacks my foolishness and unpacks the woundings that have happened in my story and the things I've believed in these core roots that have built around the foundation that I actually lean into in order to keep me stable. For about five years, I decided I would outwork any situation I came into. 
five years of my life about 10 years ago. It about killed me. My wife wanted to leave me. My kids didn't like me. I was like, I'm going to survive. We are going to plant this church. And no matter what happens, I'm going to outwork, outlift, outhustle any situation that comes. Because I'm sick of these church plant people standing on stage saying, only about 85% of churches make it. And I'm like, get a different job then, man. Like, if you're going to do it, do it. The problem is, like, the reason only 85% make it is because somewhere along the way, a husband or a wife come to this person and say, hey, you're killing yourself and everybody else. You got to stop. And they do the right thing and choose their family over the church plant. And all of a sudden, the church falls apart and people go, there goes another one. So I decided, well, I'll just sacrifice it all. And I did. And it was terrible. My kids still love to bring it up. That's not cool. I've owned it. I've owned it, but I still have to own the fact, the damage that it did. And here's the worst part of my particular lie. I did it all for the sake of Jesus. You've got to be able to sit with yourself and ask these questions. Because it's the only way you're going to sit with the people in your life that you've hurt or who have hurt you and be authentic and be in relationship. And obviously, at the end of the day, it's the only way you're ever really going to know who God is. Because the last thing he's going to do is sit with you and play games. He knows who you are. He knows what you're pretending to be, and he knows how to help you. You've just got to stop believing the lies that you don't know who you are, that this person and this persona you've built is actually who you think you need to be, and that you don't need any help. This is an easy thing to do, but it's a difficult thing to understand. And so I want to give you a I want to give you a word picture. Uh, Lindsay Kaler, who sings with us every once in a while, she sang today. She's got the curly hair and she sings okay, right? I mean, she's pretty good overall. <laughs> Lindsay, um, Lindsay made a post um, six, seven weeks ago uh, on her social media that, that I thought was so brave and so beautiful. And so I, I wrote her and I said, hey, I got an idea. I don't know what it means, but would you come and share about that post? With Kesset, and she's like, uh, okay. It's pretty scary, but okay. And so I asked her to come up here and talk about some lies she's believed in her life. And I think inside this story, some of you are gonna see a picture of yourself. You're gonna see an opportunity in your story like hers to have that quickening, to have that, that reflection, that awakening to the lies that you've believed. And you're gonna experience the victory, I hope, of what it means to finally see who God really sees you as. So will you welcome Lindsay up? So Lindsay, we're going to start, if it's okay. I'm just going to have you uh, read your Facebook post. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Yes. Um, this, is, this is pretty intimate. This is this is really raw. Can you tell me before we read it, what, what made you do this? I had been wanting to share my story for a long time and like my struggle, I guess. And I, it always felt like really intimidating and scary. And like I had to, when I went to treatment, spoiler, um, I was away from my community for a really long time. And I was like, people asked me questions and I was like, oh, I was on vacation for... <laughs> two and a half months, <laughs> like, I don't know. And I really wanted to share, but I wanted to make sure it was from a place where I wouldn't have that really yeah. bad vulnerability hangover, but only like a sort of vulnerability hangover. Sure. So yeah, it felt right to do it on the one year anniversary. Okay, okay. now have you ever shared this publicly other than that? Mm -mm. Okay, well, we're honored and uh, I'm just grateful. Thank you very much. And uh, I think you're gonna help whoever those two or three extra messed up people are that came to this uh, okay. service. <laughs> so that's, yeah, you, <laughs> you know who they both. are? You know who they are probably? <laughs> well, I'm <a> <laughs> One year ago today, I took the most terrifying steps in my life. I walked through the doors of Rain Rock, a residential eating disorder facility. May 11th marks a day that holds tremendous significance in my heart. I was so scared and trapped in a mind and in an illness that was bent on destruction. I was so sure that I did not need to be there, that I was fine, and that I would leave in a few days. Little did I know that this house would become a home a place where I felt truly seen, safe, and loved by compassionate staff and beautiful clients, some of whom are now my dearest friends. 
I learned more than I ever thought possible about this illness, about how it's really not about the food, the toxicity of diet culture and weight loss. It took me a long time to accept this, seriously a long time. Shout out to my therapists and dietitians for sticking with me. And I still struggle to combat false messaging I've received and believed for 15 years. I've wanted to talk about this summer I spent in residential and in day treatment and the experiences of the past year so many times, but every time it felt wrong and so scary. It still feels scary, but it does feel like a good way to honor and remember this day. Recovery is rough. I'm far from perfect at it. I'm far from where I want to be, but I'm also so proud of how far I've come. Every day is a battle, but I know that a life lived in recovery and freedom is the only life I'm interested in living. Uh, tell me a little bit about how the lies sort of started in your, in your story. I know this was pretty deep and pretty young. Uh, just talking about how lies sort of get woven into our identity and, and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I can remember hearing the lie like, you need to be smaller. I think like as young, I mean, I can't remember a time where I didn't really hear it, honestly. Um, but I remember when I was like eight, trying to put myself on a diet and it didn't work because I was eight and I forgot. But um, that stuck with me for a really long time. And I remember like always thinking like, oh, I need to eat less and I need to like be smaller and like there's something wrong with me. And then um, when I was 12, I started going to um, the gym. It was like a woman's gym and they would measure you when you started and like However, if you could lose inches or weight faster than the other women, they would like put you up on the wall. And I was 12 and my body would change really fast. And so I would like lose inches faster than like everyone. And I was like up on this wall all the time and like received all this affirmation and praise. And I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm okay now. Like I'm like, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be worthy. Like people like me when I'm smaller. I get more praise when I'm smaller. So like this is just how I'm gonna have to live the rest of my life. Um, and then that started like a really vicious cycle. Kind of from that point on, it wasn't like as intense as it got later, but it was always there in the back of my mind, like be smaller, you're, you're okay when you're smaller, you're not okay unless you're actively like shrinking. Um, and like struggled with that from 12 to um, 22, which I was last year. And then I had a friend go through something pretty intense and um, I put a lot of that on my shoulders and I felt like the best way, like everything else fell out of my control. I couldn't save my friends' lives. I couldn't protect the people I loved. I wasn't in charge of that. Um, but I was like, I can control mm. how much I eat. I can control like how, I don't know, I can make a number and make it very concrete and like have immediate success. So that's when like, it got really bad, and um, I was like, I'm okay if I, if I wake up and weigh less than I did yesterday, then I'm okay. Or if I set this calorie number and eat, like, far below it, then I'm okay. Like, it w my world got so small, and it just shrunk to a, a number that was measurable, which was, like, help, I guess, in the moment it was helpful. It's like, it's one thing to focus on, but it also eliminated every other thing that was beautiful in my life, and it was just the one thing. You, you mentioned to me that there was one point where your entire self-worth and value were all shrunk down to, to a number. Yeah, the so number on the scale. The yeah, I would like scale. wake up and I'm like, am I okay today or am I not okay? So without knowing a lot of Lindsay's story, I asked her in two weeks ago, and I said, hey, um, inside of our quickening series, we've got all these symbols, they're not all assigned. Is there one that jumps out at you? And she looks at me before sharing all that she shared with you, and she goes, yeah. The scale. This represents a lot of lies for you. So, a lot of people want to hear now about this uh, great awakening. They want to hear how you defeated it, how you, how you killed it, and how you want to meet with everyone in the back and give them insight into how she's now no longer wrestling with this. But we're a little more real church than that, aren't we? Yeah. You made a statement to me. What's your statement about? Um, I don't have a testimony that ends in a period it ends in commas and semicolons yeah 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 <laughs> she said this was never more apparent when she was traveling through israel because mm -hmm. you're through all this you're you're still you you're still living outside the gifts god 
you know, living out the gifts God has given you. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Israel and um, this moment that you shared with me that I thought was so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was in my senior semester at Multnomah last year, and I took a class. We were studying the tension um, and political conflict between Israel and Palestine and studying also some of the land and the context and how it matches the biblical text, and it was really cool. And so we got to go on a two-week trip over spring break, um, and I, looking back, like, I don't, I was not medically stable enough to go, but I was like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be fine, because nothing's wrong. So I went, um, and somehow along the way, my group figured out I could sing. I don't know when they did, but I probably sang too loud in the shower or something. Um, and so I was, like, the designated singer in, like, all the chapels and old churches we would go to, because the acoustics were really cool. So they would always have me sing something. And one day we were in Bethlehem in the site, a likely spot um, of the shepherd's fields where the angels came and sang and announced the birth of the Messiah and told the shepherds to go find the baby. Um, and we were there. And at that site, there is a church that's there. It's right there. <laughs> and we went inside the church and my our guides had me sing like a bunch of Christmas songs because Bethlehem... Um, and then they were like, is there anything else you want to sing? And there was a song that had been a big part of that season and a song I listened to all the time. Um, and I asked them if they knew it and they said no, but they were like, you should just sing it. And so I just like sang it in this church. Just acoustically by yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just acapella. Um, and it, it was beautiful, but also hard because it was a song that I wanted to believe so bad, and it would be such good news if I actually believed it was true, but I like was so scared and wasn't fully sure, and I don't know, like people saw me as this worship leader, and then I like had this whole other thing in my life that felt so hard and so scary, and like I couldn't talk about it because I was in ministry, and I don't know. Um, and the bridge of the song goes, when I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me, you reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces, put me back together. You're the defender of my heart. And that line, like, when I thought I lost me, I felt totally lost. I just felt like a shell of who I was, like, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of it. And I was like, I don't know how to get back to where I was. Um, and in God's goodness now, I feel like where I was, it doesn't even sound very good anymore. I'm in a better spot. But... Um, I didn't even know where that would start, and I didn't even know, like, any of that. And my whole trip in Israel was me being like, I don't know if you're real. Well, I don't know if you're really going to do all the things that, like, you say you're yeah. going to do in my life. And I'm going to sing this because I'm a worship leader, but I don't know if I believe it fully. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of a quickening in the sense of you really perhaps saw yourself as you were. Yeah. So you were sitting, as we've talked, mm -hmm. within all your lies, all your mm -hmm. stuff, all your yeah. self, uh, you know, mm -hmm. delusions, all the things you've believed, mm -hmm. and you're sitting in that place and you're singing the song, uh, just vocals, and, and you leave feeling grieved and mm -hmm. sad, mm -hmm. and then that starts, I guess, a process of mm -hmm. healing and confession and talking and mm -hmm. sharing mm -hmm. that then brings you to this place that you're sitting right now. Mm -hmm. Very much so still in mm -hmm. the journey, mm -hmm. but... Commas. Yeah. Semicolons. Commas mm -hmm. and semicolons. So we wanted to do something, uh, Lindsay and I, for you, because we believe a lot of you think that your life ends with uh, periods and such and not commas and semicolons. Maybe you don't realize that God wants to sit with you inside your song. And, and so Lindsay and I are going to take you back to that church. So I'm going to have my team come out, and they're going to swap our TVs on the back to the inside of the church that she sang that song. And what she's going to do is she's going to sing this song. Uh, this is her idea, by the way. She's going to sing this song how, how she now can see it and sing it based on what God has been revealing to her about her story and and who she is, and also sing it as a blessing uh, for you. She has some family here, uh, so this is this is a little different than just uh, another church gig, I would bet. This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in so many ways, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I just want to pray for us, and then we're going to take a minute, and we're just going to listen to her sing where she is 
to the God that loves her. My hope is so that you can experience where you are and how much he loves you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the way that you are about to reveal yourself to us. We ask, Lord, that as Lindsay courageously steps out and remembers her heart and remembers the restoration that it's, that it's um, undergone, that she would just be able to fully bathe in your Holy Spirit, that she would fully be able to recognize, Lord, that you are her defender. We thank you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You go before I know that you've even gone to win my war. You come back with the head of my enemy. You come back and you call it my victory. You go before I know that you've even gone to win my war. Your love becomes my greatest defense and leads me from the dry wilderness. All I did was pray. All I did was worship, and all I did was bow down, all I did was stay still, and you have said. in ha 
As I sing these words, as you join in, I want them to be a prayer from you to the Lord. And maybe you believe them, that they're true, or maybe you're singing them, or watching me sing them, and not believing they're true like I was a little over a year ago. But either way, it doesn't make them any less true. How we feel in the moment does not dictate what is true. I'm going to sing them, and I'm singing them in faith, believing that for some of you who it's really hard to sing, that God will take your hand and lead you until you can sing them out with faith, too, because he's a father. He's good. He doesn't leave us.
Some of us are really hoping that's true. Some of us don't even know who you are or if we even believe you're real. And God, you have something for every one of us. Something specific you're saying. Something, some lie you're trying to untangle in us that's found its way to our core. And you're trying to rip it out and it feels painful. And it is, but it's so much better. So much better to be on the other side. So much better to do it your way. So God, I pray as people leave, as they go, have lunch, enjoy the sunshine, go into their work weeks, school, maybe staying home with the kids, whatever it is. If they believe and trust in you, you've given them the spirit who can guide them and counsel them and keep teaching this to them. Teaching and revelation from you does not happen one hour a week. It can happen anywhere we are. So I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit, teaching us, pulling us into healing and freedom, pulling us into the truth. We love you. You are so good. So much better. Your way pray that you would bless every person here. Would you speak loudly to them so that they can't, they can't write it off. And they would be astoundingly and obnoxiously obvious to them that you are speaking in the best way. We love you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Amen. Thanks for coming. Enjoy your week.